welcome to the Legacy Investor Podcast. This show is dedicated to empowering and educating faith-driven investors, entrepreneurs, and business owners through commercial multifamily real estate investing. I'm your host, Isaac Lewis, and I really hope you enjoy the show. All right, so today we have Justin Warziniak. Justin began his career as a highly recruited engineer. After only two short years in corporate America, Justin left his secure nine-to-five in pursuit of financial freedom. That was when the Cash Flow Cowboy was born. At age of just 26, he became a full-time multifamily real estate investor and entrepreneur. Justin is now 28 and is an expert of finding off-market deals direct to seller. Over the past two years, he has purchased 32 units, created $1.1 million in equity, and wholesaled another 26 units for over $130,000 of profit. Join him on social media as he logs his journey to 300 units by age 30 years old. Justin, great to have you today. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Isaac. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So today we're going to talk a little about direct-to-sellers, some mindset stuff, and just your real estate journey from leaving just the secure engineer position in 9 to 5. So tell us a little about yourself, kind of where you're at, and how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah, who in their right mind leaves a nice, high-paying engineering job to full send into real estate? Yeah, so I came from like a, I guess why I was even in engineering in the first place was like I came from my grandfather was an engineer and then my dad was an engineer. So I was like, okay, looks like I'm going to be an engineer. And I didn't really put any more thought into it other than that. And I did really well, right? I was top of my class, highly recruited, got into the real world and was like, nope, this is not for me. But like what made me realize it was not for me is a purple book that I'm sure you've read and everyone's read. and Or at least if you're getting started, you come across Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was kind of the mindset change of like, okay, maybe I want to move from the employee quadrant to the investment quadrant or the business at where I'm at now, the business owner, right? And so that was, that at least got me started, but I still went and started working as an engineer. I didn't know how to be a business owner or be an investor. I just knew that I wanted to, right? And then there was a gentleman at a Christmas party right after I read the book. His name was Del Avery. The guy is awesome. Just a genuine, great person. I had never talked to him before this, but I'd kind of known of him just from the different Christmas parties and stuff like that. But we sat down over at the fire. He knew, heard I was interested in real estate. Didn't realize that he'd been doing it. I was like, I wonder what that guy does. He he seems well off. He seems like a good person. He hangs out with his family a lot. Like, where does he have all this time to to run a business? And well, where does he have all this time to work all the time and then also see his family? So that's when I got the taste of like, what it looks like to have success in real estate. And I think that's very important for people when they first get started is you get all this energy, you're really excited about it, but what does it look like? And that's what he, he was what it looked like. And he told me, never forget it. Buy one property, one property, that's it. One property a year, which isn't crazy. I mean, that's not bad. For the next 15 years and you will be, you'll have enough for retirement. You'll be well off. You'll probably be in the top 1%, top 5% of people out there just from simply doing that. And that was a strategy, not while still being an engineer or whatever, that he encouraged me to do. Now, since then, I've done a lot more. I'm looking for multiple properties a year at this point because I'm all in on real estate and I love it and I want to scale quicker. So that was kind of where I got started and then went over to Bigger Pockets, got some education, which is very important, read books, podcasts, you name it, and then uh, went started attending local meetups. So went on meetup.com, Searched Indianapolis, where I was from, was like, how do I do this? Showed up as green as it gets. I had never bought a property. 
and they welcome you in. They teach you how to do it. You see other people doing it. Honestly, you see people do it. And you're like, how is that guy doing it? If he can do it, I can definitely do it. You know, so there's some encouragement there. And then the last thing I did once I was ready to like really juice up and scale my portfolio was joining a mastermind or sometimes a coaching program, uh, depending on your situation. And that's what I did. I joined a couple, most notably the Make It Happen MIH mastermind, which now is just kind of all I have to do is find deals. And within the mastermind, we have all the the network, we have the money, the, the systems, everything you need to purchase and scale a portfolio amongst the different partners there. So that's kind of the the five-step process or three-step process if you want. It's like learn, start attending meetups, and then start join a mastermind to kind of scale it to the and take it to the next level. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's huge. Leaving your W-2, leaving this this secure job. I mean, that's brave right there. You must have had a huge why, which was the financial freedom aspect. You wanted your time back. You wanted to escape the rat race, if you will, of this constant yeah. making money and losing money cycle. Talk to us a little about like the limiting beliefs that you had, maybe from yourself, your family, and, and leaving that, that engineering position and going into real estate? How did, how did that affect you? And maybe what are some ways that you had to overcome those? Yeah, this is actually a really important question that I think anyone listening should probably also think about is like, so I don't know about you, Isaac, but this is like, this is how what I was taught growing up, right? It's I, I came, I had two W2 parents, which is nothing, you know, I had an engineer dad, and then I had a mom who did physical therapy. So it was kind of in the medical realm. And what they were taught and what they, their parents were taught and their parents were taught was like, go to college, get a strong degree. So I'm probably like a STEM degree or something like that. That's what they were preaching to me. Get a STEM degree because that is kind of guaranteeing you a job after college and then go work that job for the rest of your life. And then hopefully you have enough saved up. And you can retire, you can work your whole life so that you can retire the last little portion of your life. And hopefully you invested well over that time without any investment experience. No, they didn't have any experience. You just kind of got lucky, maybe time the stock market right. And then you kind of hope that you can retire. But at that point, really, you're kind of, this is going to sound really bad, but you're really needing to die earlier because you don't actually have enough money to fund what it costs to retire comfortably. So you really just kind of spent your whole life working to kind of not really enjoy it. And so that's what I was taught because that's like the secure, safe thing to do. But what I did was in a sense risky, right? I was like, all right, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to throw away a stable income and I'm going to go after what I believe is the fastest way to financial freedom, which is like you mentioned, a very important part of life is how can I get, can I maximize my time to do what I want, right? If I want to go spend time with my family instead of having to go to work, that's important. But if I have no income, then I kind of do need to go to, to work because then it's not going to work out very well in the long run. So it was crazy. The mindset that is needed is that like, I wouldn't recommend just leaving your nine to five without replacing it first with at least close to replacing it with passive income through real estate. That's going to be like easier to sleep at night way of doing it. So do that. But like if your whole strategy is, all right, I'm going to just max out my 401k for the rest of my life and then tap into it when it's ready for retirement. Like the unfortunate reality is it's probably not going to be enough, right? So you're going to not 
be able to retire when you want to, or you're going to have to work even more, work long hours, not see your family and stuff. And if that's what you want to do, that's be, keep doing what you're doing. Right. But if you want something different, which I think a lot of people really do, which is why you and I are investing in real estate, right? It's very much like now we have an obligation to tell more people like invest in real estate, even if it's a side hustle, one property a year for the next 15 years, that's going to change your life. And it's going to give you the time that you want to do things you want, travel, family, you name it, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think a lot of the people listening probably haven't bought any real estate yet um, and are wanting to get into it, or maybe they have a few. And what I was, I always say is just start, just start somewhere, whether that's um, being, getting educated, partnering up with people, just being around those people. Cause like you said, like limiting beliefs is going to make or break. And it's so important to capture those. And at least for me, it's a continual process of educating myself, being around people who are going to influence me in the, in the proper way to help my mindset continue to train it because society and culture is set up to create robots. And I'm not going to go into the whole conspiracy theory <laughs> idea of this, but it is to create people who can work in the factories, the industrial age, work in the factories who will follow the system because otherwise we, we won't have people who can serve us at these fast food places. And, and I'm nothing against those people. We all have to start yep. somewhere. It's just getting past that, getting through those barriers is huge. And I've interviewed a lot of people who have successfully done that, who have every right to not exceed and succeed because of the way they grew up, their resources and whatnot. Yeah. But they, they chose to rework their mind, rethink about how they see their future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's like who you surround yourself is kind of who you become. Like, I mean, I grew up and I was you know, I was a referee at one point. I was working in, in the restaurant industry at multiple points, just getting money to scrape by. But like now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, well now I'm building a business, right? It's totally different, but it's like, it, I came from that and it wasn't, it was like the grind, right? And as long as you stick to it and you're continuously involving. And one of the important things too, especially if anyone is newer listening, this is going to be something that's going to be a tough pill to swallow, but a necessary one, right? Think about what do you want to become, right? If I like my goal right now is I'm, I just turned 28 last month and I want to become financially free by 30. So I want 300 apartment building units by 30 years old. Who can I listen to along the way to get to 300 units by 30 years old? Can I listen to my family and friends who I love and appreciate who have zero to three, maybe, apartment units? No, that's not the advice I should be taking. The people I need to be listening to and only only listening to is mentors, people within our my mastermind network, people at your local meetup that have hundreds of doors, thousands of doors, right? That's who you go to for advice and that's who you want to surround yourself with. And it is a tough pill to swallow because your parents and your family care so much about you, so much about you not failing, right? Not failing that they will project their insecurity of you going for it in real estate or buying real estate onto you. And as a result, you will get deflated. You will think, all right, this is risky. I don't want to do it. This is what my parents are teaching me. But if your parents have never done it, how are they supposed to know, right? People have done it. It's clear. Go to a meetup. You'll see 
200 people that have done it, right? Listen to them. Love your parents. Listen to your your investor friends and mentors. That's all I got to say. <laughs> no, totally. And I couldn't agree with you more. And really, this this applies to not only real estate. This applies to any industry. As as an entrepreneur, you're gonna face this all the time. It, it's it's um you respect and love these people who are your family, your friends, mentors, mentors, and and maybe the sense of you you look at them as a mentor, but they're not pushing you yeah. um in the way that they should. So yeah, it applies to all all aspects of real estate. But huge huge point there. I want to swap over to what you said. You were talking about direct-to-seller. I know you're you're doing direct-to-seller all the time. Can you explain to the audience maybe what direct-to-seller means, a little bit about it, maybe break down maybe successes, failures you've had, and just talk about that yeah. um, as a strategy? Yeah, let's definitely dive into that. I actually love this, especially if your audience is newer or just getting started in real estate. This is very important because, and, and especially if you're younger too, it's like if you think about, how can I add value to a partnership that's going to go out and buy a 20 unit apartment building? Well, I had left my job. I don't, I didn't have any money, right? I mean, I threw, I threw that, that away. The bank's looking at me like, I can't finance you. You don't have a job, right? So what value can you bring? It's like, well, you can build relationships with owners of properties. And then when they want to sell, you're the one they want to sell to. That's a huge value. So then if you think about it in the real estate world, there's really two areas, right? There's people that have the deals and then there's people that have the money, right? And then they they work together, they partner together, right? So when you don't have the money, go find the deals. And so direct-to-seller for me has been life-changing, right? I've been able to buy 32 units, created over a million dollars in equity in the last two years alone, right? That's just from buying properties at a discount, running them well, nothing crazy. Like we haven't done any like full on rehabs. Like, I mean, we ha- we renovate units, but it's really nothing that anyone listening couldn't do, right? I'm not that special. I'm in the cash flow cowboy, but I'm not that special. All right, that's just a name, right? So it's really getting the systems in place to start finding and building relationships with off-market direct-to-seller properties. And then once you have the deals, that's when your local meetups that you've been going to or the mastermind network that you've joined, you go to them and you say, hey, I have a good deal. I need help financing it. I need money, whatever. And then maybe you get linked up with a doctor or a lawyer or a couple other investors who have capital to put into it, right? It's awesome. It's really, it's great. I've been able, like we just, we purchased an eight unit property that I got paid $6,000 at closing and I own 18% of the equity in that building. Now I'm not going to go like, super deep into that particular deal, but just think about that, right? I found a deal. I was given almost 20% ownership of it for no money out of my own pocket. Like I could be completely broke living off ramen noodles and I could still buy real estate. That's what's crazy about this that a lot of people don't realize up front. You think, all right, a property's worth a million dollars. I need to have a million dollars to buy it. And you don't. You don't need any money really to buy anything. You can put it together um, with the right partnerships. So needless to say, that's like why it's important to do direct-to-seller just as far as what direct-to-seller is. Just think about the name. It's you are going directly to the seller to purchase their property. Now, the difference is sometimes like if you look on the MLS, those properties are listed on the market through a real estate agent or a broker or whatever it may be, and they get paid a commission. 
and they kind of facilitate the transaction. The reason I like direct to seller is there's no commission being paid so that you can negotiate down to a lower price, there's better discounts, and you can get a better sense of the owner's situation, whatever's going on with their life. And if you can present an easy fix to that, you can buy a property without any of the competition of everyone else, which competition drives up price as well. So you get massive discounts that way. And the the three components to direct to seller, and so if anyone's listening and they're not driving, write it down, right? Number one is list of properties. You have to start targeting properties that you want to buy. Now, I'm not going to go super deep into this. If you guys want, follow me on, on social media, Instagram, Cashflow Cowboy or Facebook, Cashflow Cowboy. And I dive into these a lot more, put out videos about it. But that list of property is going to have owner names on it. And you're going to need to get that skip traced, which is a detective word of saying, you need phone numbers for whoever owns the properties, right? You have to have a way of getting in, in contact with them, right? Definitely, there's a ton of services out there. I'm not going into that. That's a whole, that's, we can go on a whole ta- tangent about that. You need to skip trace it. You need to filter it out. And then now you have a list of properties with phone numbers. You're ready to go. Throw it into a system. CRM is what a lot of people are using. And it's essentially a way of calling and texting and emailing and direct, whatever you want to do. It's following up and it's a lead funnel. That system is our bread and butter. That's why we've had success. That's why the last two years we've been crushing it. And we'll touch about it maybe later, but we've actually made that available for people. So also another reason to follow me on Instagram because then you can get more updates on that. And then the last part, so it's list of properties, CRM, so lead funnel, tracking your leads. And then the last one is offers. You need to be able to write offers, write LOIs, have a relationship enough with the owner that's and negotiate the price. No, and part of the offer has to do with being able to analyze what a good deal work looks like. So that's why it's also nice if you attend local meetups and stuff. If you're even if you don't know what a good deal looks like, they do. So you can loop in someone that you met at the meetup or one of the bigger pockets calculators. You can plug it through there and see if it's a good deal if it pencils out. That's yeah, it. No, great. Properties, great. track the properties, track the owners and properties. And then submit offers. That's it. That's awesome. I think it's important to note that this can work for single family or multifamily. Yes. But we are in the world of multifamily. We so that's, are multifamily. That's kind of like, <laughs> that's the, the angle we're coming from. But if you are in single family, it can be done for single family as well. Justin's had a lot of success with yep. this. My um, first ever apartment building was through this. We sent a text message to the owner. 10 unit property, nothing crazy. 10 unit property in Indiana. And we bought it for $350,000 as a result of sending a text message and getting it at a massive discount. Now, the rents weren't very high. They're like 400, 450 average rents when we bought it. But all we had to do was light renovations. And two years later, well, a year and a half later, with billing them back for utilities, we're getting an average rent of like 800, 850, right? 825. Let's, Let's call it 825. So that's six hundred dollars now, or six hundred thousand is the value of the property now versus three fifty when we bought it a year and a half ago. <laughs> that's more than I would have made as an engineer in the last two years. So, like, that's what's possible. And like, it was just a simple text message to the guy that owned the building. Like, it wasn't anything crazy. So that that's, could be possible. That's the key. Me. That's the key between single family and multifamily. You were able to force the appreciation immediately. By doing that, a lot of people that are listening may be in single family, and that's kind of like 
did you start in single family? I know I started in single family. I did a I did house switch over. Yeah, I did a house hack, and now and then I switched to multifamily just because I listened to podcasts and like you talking, where you hear it enough, people are like, "I like multi." They start with single family, they end up in multifamily. So it's like, why are they ending up in multifamily? And and there's a bunch of reasons, right? You can just you can buy more at once, right? The scale, you can force the appreciation, but. There's nothing against single family. It's actually, you can build a massive amount of wealth through single family. You just have to do it in more volume, right? So direct to seller is a good way to do that because then you're just getting, acquiring more and there's more out, there's more inventory out there. So it's, I guess in a sense, there's an easier way of finding more properties, but multifamily for us is the way. (laughs) Multifamily is the way. Okay. So let's talk about, we recently had a call where you talked about a deal that you wholesaled. I'd love to go into that a little bit, maybe as much detail as you're willing to share of maybe what happened, how you got that, and maybe why you chose to wholesale that instead of hold on to it. And I love it. Yes. I'm actually really excited you brought this up. So, well, I'm also really excited because we closed that two weeks ago and it was awesome. Oh my goodness. It was great. I uh, went out and celebrated. We had a nice steak dinner afterwards with a partner. But wholesaling, a lot of people hear hear wholesaling and sometimes it gets a negative connotation to it. At the end of the day, it's the reason I wholesale is I was planning on buying a property, right? Through our direct-to-seller system, we found a property that we're going to buy. In this instance, it was a 12-unit property in Indiana. We got it after talking to this guy for 10 months of cold calling and maybe a couple text messages here and there, actually false, no text messages. This guy was legitimately so old school. He didn't have an email account. He, we had to go down and all offer negotiations were done in person. Someone had to drive down, someone on our team drive down and offer and do negotiations. So very old school. So it was all, all over the phone or in person, right? And so 10 months later, we finally, you know, eight months later, we're getting under contract. 10 months later, we finally wholesale it. The reason I wholesaled it was simply, I knew it was a good deal because we were planning on buying it, right? But because I had it at such a massive discount, I was able to sell it to someone else for a higher price. And what I did was a double close, which I don't want to get too much in the nitty gritty of a double close, but it's essentially, I the same day I bought a property, there's a separate transaction that I sold it to an end buyer for a higher price, right? The difference between what I bought it for and what I sold it for, which I think a lot of people can kind of understand that concept. And that that difference was $63,000. So one day in the course of an hour, I bought and sold a property and walked away with $63,000. That was almost my engineering salary for a full year of 40 hours a week, 50 to 60 hours a week, for 52 weeks and maybe I got one week off for vacation. Like that's the difference, which is crazy. But the reason I wholesaled it was we were going to buy it, but I knew I could get, because we had a low price, I could get it wholesaled at a higher price. And I can now use this capital that I just made to go put it in another deal, a larger deal, actually a 27 unit that we're looking to purchase. So I didn't have enough money for both deals and I wanted to, so I wholesaled one and then moved the capital, the money the profit into what's going to end up as equity into the 27 unit deal that we buy. So I can put more money into that deal. That's great. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I even struggled with this for a long time is like, man, why wouldn't you just hang on to that? You had it at a low price. You had it at a good deal. You're able to purchase it. 
But the thing that I, I didn't realize for a long time was the, the potential of capital or the potential opportunity cost or opportunity that you could have used that money for yeah. down the road. And time. To, um, There's time. time too, right? So I kind of stumbled into this where in the last year and a half, we've, we've acquired four properties, 32 units, wholesaled a couple other ones. But like, you're just always thinking about other properties, right? Especially if you're a single in the single family world, I know that you deal with this. You're like, there's so many properties you're thinking about all at once. And it's, I would like to, instead of buying two properties at 12 units a pop or whatever, I'd like to buy one property at 27 units, right? Or something like that. So that I can just focus on one thing, right? So it's like less split focus. And that was kind of another part that went into it. But my partners, they haven't acquired as many in the last two years. They really wanted to buy it. So that's why we had to wholesale at such a high price to kind of convince them that, hey, we'll use this capital on on a different deal, right? But yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you can get time back and then if if you can take that money, like if I go take that money, if I go take that money and go buy a new car, it's like, well, I should have bought the asset. I should have bought the apartment building, right? Let's, let's be, if I go buy a liability. But if I'm going and moving it into another asset, and the opportunity cost is higher there, then I can sleep better at night thinking that I'm that I'm doing something right as an investor. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Buying assets, not liabilities. Yes. Okay. So you talked about mastermind and coaching. I want to talk a little bit about how important that is to you and maybe just why you chose to do it and the value that it brought to you. Yes. So I remember when I was an engineer and I first got started in like we would go to these like young professional events and stuff and there's some people that were like clearly excelling and you're like why are they doing so well where like i feel like i'm better qualified than that and then they would always be like well i have a mentor in the in the who's a vice president here and every month we meet and it's like oh so like mentorship is important and then i think everyone realizes that they're like oh if i get a mentor i will succeed faster but then it's like, how do I even get a mentor? Like, do I just walk up to random people at an organization and be like, will you mentor me? I want to be your mentee. I want to be your mentee. And that's like the fastest way to not get a mentor because they're like, that's super annoying. If you think about it, like a mentor is just someone who you formed a strong relationship with who's willing to give back. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are willing to be mentors if you approach the conversation right. It's not easy to do. I mean, it's it's not. So I would say just always be trying to build relationships with people and be like a human being. And usually that turns into a mentorship. Or you can just buy a mentorship in a sense, which is kind of what I did. And it sounds bad. But there's a lot of people out there that are good mentors. But if you think about it, their time is valuable, right? So they put together mastermind networks or they put together coaching calls or consulting or stuff like that. And if you're on the fence about paying for it, it's like put yourself in their shoes. They're just, they're not just going to talk to everyone in their, everyone about and just give out free information all the time when they have families and portfolios and, and businesses to scale and stuff like that. So that's why if you can do a mastermind, which is essentially paying to join a network of other like-minded real estate investors and now you have access to them their capital their networks and stuff like that and the people that run it end up being your mentors right so i've built very 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 strong relationships 
with the guys that run the mentor or run the mastermind network. We go to dinners all the time. Every time I see them, I'm repping their stuff, like their company, like just ways of showing that I appreciate what they've done for me, right? I've been able to scale as a result. So I will give back as best I can, which is promoting them, showing them love. And that's how a a strong relationship is built is give and take, right? If they're adding value to me, how can I add value back? And then that's kind of how you end up developing strong mentorship skills, right? And and, And mentors. And I think we all know that they are important. So if you can stick with it and actually build them, then you're going to be better off. Totally. Yeah. I think another thing to keep in mind is, like you said, you can add value, but at the end of the day, they're, they're thinking about how to gain more money or increase their net worth. And so you got to pay them for their time. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think along with that, paying them is going to light a fire under your butt a little bit more of you're going to put in the work if you're paying for it. Exactly. Accountability. You're just going to take it more seriously. If you're paying for it rather than just, quote unquote, getting a handout, I guess, you're going to take it more seriously. I agree. So totally agree. Yeah. Let's switch over. Okay. So this show is kind of dedicated to empowering and educating faith-driven investors, entrepreneurs, business owners. Talk to us a little about, you're a believer. Talk to us a little bit about how you integrate faith into the way you do business and how you witness to others in your day-to-day operations. I was really excited about this part of the interview, actually, because I have a hypothetical question for you, Isaac, and I actually think this is going to resonate with a lot of people, is integrating faith into business in general is, is difficult, right? Integrating, I mean, integrating faith into just your normal day-to-day life and being, quote-unquote, a witness is a difficult thing. And so let me pose this question and actually want to know what your thoughts are. So you're at a real estate event and it's an awesome event. The speaker is crushing it. You're listening to what the speaker had. They're up there for a reason, obviously, because they're super successful. They're motivating you. You're like, all right, I want to go take on the world. But you understand and you know from maybe you follow on social media or maybe you've heard. It's like, all right, that speaker, you know, might not be a believer or whatever, but they definitely idolize like money, cars material items and stuff, but they're motivating you to do better in your own business, which is leading you to financial freedom, which maybe gives you more time with your family, which is important. Maybe gives you more time to, I don't know, go to the weekly young professionals church meetup or whatever it may be. How do you like, do you listen to what they say? Do you not listen to what they say? Are you, are you not like, are you feeling guilty now for taking their advice and implementing it? Like this has been the thing that I struggle with the most in real estate business is because there are a lot of people who are in real estate for simply the money and the cars and the, I don't know, women maybe. I don't even know if that's a thing that (laughs) that happens. Maybe just the status. Who knows? How do you protect yourself from that while also knowing that real estate in itself is not a bad thing, right? There's a lot of very good people who do real estate. How do you protect yourself from that? And then how do you keep yourself going, but also maybe, I don't know, do you not listen to certain people as a result or do you listen to everyone, but you just know that in your heart of hearts, you're, you stay true to being a believer. Open question, go. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I think in the world of business as a believer and as a Christian, that is going to be a constant struggle 
for us in just the way we do business and the way we surround us and the people who we engage with, interact with. How do we engage with them in a way that is respectful, but also really having a filter of what you take in and what you allow into your your belief system. And I think the first thing is just understanding what you stand for. I think that's huge. Like, what do you believe? As a Christian, what are your beliefs? And having those ingrained, whether they're core values or just whatever in your business, to know that it's like a filter, the funnel that's going in. Like, okay, I can listen to this secular person who is very successful, who who knows a lot, who I can gain a lot of value from. But I need to put them through this filter of like, okay, they said this. I don't necessarily agree with that, but then I can take this value from them. And I think that's huge because, I mean, especially for this podcast, that was something I really struggled with was, okay, do I want to have only believers on this podcast? And that was what I was going to do. Only have believers on this podcast as a guest so that my audience could maybe not have to have that filter. But then... I ultimately decided that I didn't want to go that route because there are a lot of people who are non-believers who God can work through and who God can use to build up our businesses, who can really help people grow their businesses that may or may not believe the same thing. But I think the key is they have those core values of maybe integrity. They have a moral background. They have a moral understanding of what's right and wrong. Yeah. That's like what I always go back to is like morals, right? It's like, You can, whether they're believer or not believer, if your morals align, it's like, okay, that's good. And one of the important things too, especially as people start doing more and more real estate, you don't understand that partnerships are a very important part of this. And so this is kind of where I've tried to stay true is like, like if I have a deal, right, I can go partner with theoretically anyone who has capital, right? Anyone who has money for that deal. But And a lot of people, I will just like post about a deal and they'll literally, they'll be like, I'm interested. It's like, well, I don't know you. And so what's important is I actually take the time to go to a lot of these events and in-person stuff because what's really important to me is I want to go to dinner with you. Maybe we have a couple drinks or something like that. I want to see how you operate as a human, right? Who are you? Like, what is your morals? Like, where are you at? And as a result, then you understand, all right, these are people that I want to partner with because they have a good head on their shoulders for lack of a better way of putting that. And they don't necessarily have to be believers or they could honestly be different religions. It doesn't really matter. It's just really, if you can line up with other investors who share that moral code. And I think that's important because you are going into long-term partnerships with people, right? These aren't like a, hey, next week, if I don't like you, I'm out. Like you buy a property together. That's a three, five, eight, 10 plus year commitment to each other. So it is very important. I would say my advice as far as integrating faith with business, if you can meet partners and get to know partners before you jump into a deal, they say jump in bed, but jump into a deal with them, That'll save you, I guess, a lot of headache and a lot of, I don't know, guilt, whatever it may be. And it'll help you scale quicker because you're surrounded by your core group of, you know, solid people. And not just, like you said, jumping into it. Yeah. Taking that time to to pray about it, think about it, reflect on it, and make sure, give time to build those relationships because, like you said, you're going to be in that deal for a while and, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you're aligned with uh, your values and goals and all that good stuff. I think going back to that in terms of just how I view myself as a witness is 
I, I'm not the type of person to want to push my religion on anyone or my relationship with God. I, I just don't see that as useful, and I don't think anyone else is going to receive that well if I'm if I'm pushing it. And so, one thing that I've just kind of tried to to keep in my daily routine and daily interactions is just conducting myself in a way that and doing business in a way that's different and that's going to stand out. And I think that is going to cause other people to ask the question rather than me having to push it, ask the question, oh, like, why are you different? Why are you doing business this way? Why are you not just trying to go out and just get the most money out of this, that, and the other? And then that kind of leads into another conversation that I can have with them. You actually, this is going to sound crazy. I actually want to know your opinion on this. So it's almost like a sales call in a sense, right? Because it's like, you know, you have a product, Jesus, God, Christianity, that is good product, amazing product, right? But you know people that could have good products, but they get you're on the phone with them and you're like, I'm going to hang up on you because they're like, you know, it's like pushing the pro- like sell, 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 sell. And it's like, that's going to, in the court, looking at it like a relationship, that's going to push people away. That's not going to have the effect that you want. But it's when people are at, when it's coming the other direction, they're asking you about your, I'm saying product, we understand it's much bigger than a product. Then it encourages conversations and actually ends up leading to I want to say sale, but it, obviously it's much bigger than a sale as well, following and stuff like that. So I think that's like a good way to look at it. It's like, I, if someone calls you out of nowhere, sales guy calls you and it, you want to hang up on them, that's probably what you're doing by trying to like force it onto people. But if you can conduct yourself as in, all right, Isaac, I can see he is having success and he's a great person. How look, I want to know more, like, tell me about it, right? And then once I'm asking you the questions, that's when it just really clicks for people, I think, is then they could see, all right, you can have success in real estate and you can also be a believer and you don't have to just completely idolize the money side of it. You can use it, you can be doing it as a vehicle for financial freedom, which financial freedom to you could be traveling, spending time with your family, going to see the world that we've been blessed to, to be born into, right? So that could be what it is. Mission trips, right? If you want to go on a bunch of mission trips, well, you need time to go on mission trips. And if you're not working, if that's your only source of income is putting in time input, then that's not going to help you out. But if you have passive income, you can take a million, you can go on a million mission trips and and, and really impact the world that way. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, look at it like a sales, right? Sales call. And who are you? Are you the pushy salesman? Or are you the successful salesman that's drawing people in? And I, and I want to also say that we can really show the love of Jesus through the way we operate our business in terms of, okay, so we're buying these rundown buildings that these people are living in and we're able to, okay, we may be raising the rent, but we're raising the rent to what everyone else is charging. We're not stifling them, mm-hmm. but but we're also giving them a safer, cleaner, more homely place to live. Yeah rather than this this rundown dump that they're currently living in because that's their only option. And so I think that's a great way to witness to people and just showing them love, building those relationships with them and providing for them in the way that Jesus would. Yep. Provide quality housing. That's, exactly. That is love. Everybody needs shelter. It's a basic need. That's why real estate, is, so many people are successful in real estate. It's a need of everyone. Treat yep. it that way. Yep. Okay. We're going to wrap up here soon. Awesome. I just want to know maybe a book or two for the audience that you would recommend or, and it can be biblical Christianity or business, whatever that you'd recommend to read. 
Yep. As far as like business goes, if you're just getting started, any just go to Bigger Pockets and read their books, listen to content they have. That's that's gonna be great. That's gonna be what you need when you're first getting started. Once you get a little bit more advanced within business, I think Who Not How by Dan Sullivan is a great book because then you start getting into the world of how do I automate and delegate so you have more time to do to grow your business or like we've mentioned a million times, spend time with who you want to spend time with, right? As far as books that have a biblical background to it, A Case for Christ was very important for me. I think I was kind of on the fence believing-wise, in a sense, and I read that, and it was coming from an engineering background. Very Everything I do is, and what gets to me is logic, right? It's always logic-based. But to see it kind of built out by, I mean, I, I think the guy was like a trial attorney, and he went and the author of that. And it's like very much like, presenting a case for Christ. I think that was great as far as like my own personal, like, okay, it's real. What ha- Everything is real, right? Love it. Love it. Yeah. Those are great books. Highly recommend those as well. So, okay. You have a course, no stress DTS uh, process that you have just launched. Yes. Um, and he, he says they're an exact replica of the systems you use to close those off-market deals. That's live, correct? That is live. Yeah, we've been taking clients. We had our launch group in January. We just launched another wave of clients in February, and we're starting to set up the systems for in the business, I guess. We're really launching a direct-to-seller business for people exactly what we've done in the last two years. So it's like, Amazing. Take, it's like the opportunity cost of it, right? right? If you want to go try to build it yourself, go ahead. Like I'm not saying against that but the service we provide is like for a nominal fee we set it up you now have a business you can just start focused on getting a hold of more owners and talking to them and buying their property so it's phenomenal everyone's excited about it because they've been wanting it for a while and only recently did we realize we can actually replicate what we've been doing so that's actually really cool but yeah if you want more information on that Maybe it'll be in the show notes, but if you, yeah, like I'll I said, hit, go to Facebook, Instagram, like I'm posting about that. I'm posting about just my journey it, itself for, to uh, 300 units by 30. So there will be more information there. There's plenty of links in my bios and stuff like that. That'll navigate you there. Cool. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link that to the show notes. Great. It's going to be a lot of value Justin's providing for you guys. So be sure to check that out. Justin, how can the listeners get a hold of you? Facebook, website. Yep. Facebook and Instagram at cashflow underscore cowboy. That's going to be the best way. I mean, I had no purpose being on social media when I was an engineer. And then as soon as I got into the real estate world, I realized just the importance of having a presence online was. So go there. I do have a website. You can find it through my social media. So that's going to be your starting place. Go ahead, give that follow and stay up to date on kind of all the direct to seller secrets, just giving them out for free. So it's going to be worth your time. And it's a little entertaining. I do wear a cowboy hat every now and then. I got it right here at my desk. So check it out. It'll be fun and be a little entertaining and you'll actually learn something. Incredible. Well, this is the Cashflow Cowboy. Justin, thank you so much for being on. Be sure to give him a follow. And uh, as always, we believe in uh, building a legacy of wealth for our future. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. Appreciate it, Isaac.